Hi, everybody. I am Jen Johnson, and this is Thought by Thought Healing, where I talk about TMS and recovering from chronic symptoms from a Christian perspective. I also interview people who are experts in the field and also others who have recovered through this journey by approaching it as TMS or mind-body syndrome. So today I get to interview Dr. Justin Barker, and we're going to talk about a few things. One, we're going to talk about his healing journey, which he's a psychotherapist, so he's able to infiltrate into even his story tips for you on how you can approach and think about your own healing journey. And then we're also going to talk about the pitfalls of how we approach healing and how that can hinder and or help our healing process. And then this idea of being flexible within the journey and paying attention to what you need for the healing journey instead of following this rigid set of rules. So if you are curious and or stuck in your healing journey, this is going to be a great episode for you. So I'm going to read a little bit about him and then we will get into the interview. Dr. Justin Barker is a clinical psychologist in Los Angeles that specializes in the treatment of TMS as well as anxiety and OCD. Dr. Parker became passionate about TMS after healing from four years of chronic back pain using a TMS approach, which he's going to talk about. In addition to providing individual psychotherapy, Dr. Barker has collaborated with Dr. David Schechter, who was on the show in August of last year, and is the co-author of the Mind Body Workbook Volume Number 2 as well as the co-creator of the Mind-Body Healing Journey video course with Dr. Schechter. Dr. Barker also co-leads a TMS healing group with Dr. Schechter, which provides a group format to learn about and to heal from TMS. So without further ado, I give you Dr. Justin Barker. See you guys next week. Bye. All right, let's get started. So um, I have Dr. Justin Barker with me today. Um, Thank you for being here. So glad to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Really excited to get to talk. And uh, yeah, I'm doing really good. Cool. You are in California, is that right? Southern California, Los Angeles. Yes. Los Angeles, the big city. Cool. Uh, are you from there? Yeah, I'm from a city next to Pasadena called Altadena. So oh. like uh, 10 minutes from the Rose Bowl. And then uh, outside of a four-year stint in New Jersey, came straight back and oh. I love the warmth, the sun and the sand. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. I am in Seattle and I love it in Seattle, but I do not like all the rain. So I res- I respect the the love for the sun there. Yeah. Totally. Okay, so let's just start by you telling us a little bit about yourself, um uh what you do and then I do want to hear about your own personal healing story also. Yeah, so the way that I got introduced to TMS was through my own journey. Um, I It's one of those things where looking back on it, I would say that I had TMS probably even as like a young child, but of course I wasn't thinking about it as TMS then. Absolutely. But even in high school, I had tendonitis in my knees and then I had this random shoulder pain. And like, I would just say that my body didn't feel good a lot from a pretty young age. Um, I had surgery on my right wrist, my senior school, because I ruptured a tendon and tore four ligaments. And 
you know, I think so much of TMS can be these narratives that we develop. And one of the narratives that for me developed was that the surgeon had said that a quote unquote normal person would have broken their wrist, but because of my hypermobility, I ended up tearing and rupturing things, which was actually much worse. Mm. But that word hypermobile became this important word to me because then I, I would use that as an explanation for things. So fast forward to my mid twenties, uh, all of a sudden I was deadlifting. So just, you know, lifting a weight right off the floor and uh, hurt myself really bad, um, was in a lot of pain. And that was when my back pain started. And I had this whole narrative that because I was hypermobile, I had had too much of a, like a curvature of my spine, which had then led me to pick the weight up off the floor the wrong way, you know, and on and on. Um, so I had back pain. Uh, it was pretty intense. It would shoot down my left leg. It would also go up into my upper back, but especially my lower left back was like that one spot. And I tried lots of different things, physical therapy, ended up getting an MRI and was told that I had a, a quote unquote pinched nerve. Yeah. Um, there was like nothing to do about it and that I was going to live with that forever. And then there was this kind of defining moment for me where I was doing physical therapy and the physical therapist had a blood pressure cuff under my back. And he was telling me to squeeze my abdomen in this specific way to get the blood pressure cuff reader to read it like 60 whatever units that was and you know he's going squeeze a little harder no that's too hard and i'm lying down and i'm going there's just no way that this is going to get me out of chronic pain where every step hurts uh, so i had actually had probably five different people recommend healing back pain by john sarno to me and it's one of those things where it's like the first time you hear it, it's like oh yeah Second time, you're like, oh, yeah, someone else had referenced that. But I really didn't give it any thought. Um, and then by the, the the fifth time, plus the combination of that and the physical therapy that just started to become less and less plausible to me, I picked it up. And within two months, I was healed. Oh, uh, so crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it really did feel like a miracle. Uh, like many people talk about, I just found myself on every page and I felt like the book was written for me. So, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Um, so you, you, you have this narrative that you've created and you're hearing about healing back pain. And um, did you have an inkling at all that it was stress or emotion-based um, I'm, I'm especially curious because you, you were thinking, how can this possibly heal my chronic pain where every step hurts? Do you think subconsciously you wondered if it was stress or emotion-based at all? So that's a great question. I would actually say I was one of those people who didn't even think I was stressed. Yeah. Um, which looking back on it, I had so much stress and so much anxiety and so much tension and so much inner conflict. Yes. But if you had asked me at the time, like, Justin, are you, uh, you know, do you tend towards stress? I would have been like, 
No, I, I, I'm doing great. Or I would have just thought that my incredible stress levels were just like everyone else. Like, what do you mean? You're telling me that you don't wake up with your heart palpitating at five in the morning and worrying all day? You know, like it, it just didn't even register for me. So I had no idea that stress could have been a connection. Um, but somehow I was open to just anything, I think mostly out of desperation mm -hmm. and also yeah. because the kind of standard medical treatment clearly wasn't working and I didn't really have any faith that it was going to start to work. Yeah. I, just in connecting with you on that, I had been through PT for, you know, however many months, maybe years. <laughs> and at some point in time, I had been asked how, how much stress do you have? And I, I said, none. Um, and I remember fast forwarding months and sitting down and saying, okay, I lied. <laughs> and, and I, and I don't even think I like intentionally downplayed it, but yeah, I was juggling a million things and had literally no idea. I was just unaware of the stress that was, that I was carrying around me, those burdens that we talk about so often. So I feel you in that, like, uh, I think, and, and partly I'm wanting to reiterate this just because it, for those listening, it might be good if you don't think you're stressed to check in. Is that is that actually true? Or are there other things that you're carrying that you're just unaware of? Totally. I mean, when the when the baseline is so high and it's been so high for so long, I just think it's what we know. Yeah. But if someone doesn't think they're stressed and they're in a lot of pain, I almost always think that one of the first things to look at is the idea of not being stressed. Because like you said, it's not it's not a lie. It's that there's just a lack of understanding of what calm or safety even represent. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So here you are. Five times somebody has suggested this book to you. You finally read it. You're healed. You're healed. It's two months later. Is it smooth sailing from there for you? I wish. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it that was a transformational experience. However, uh, although I did do journaling and I feel like I had accessed some really important anger and guilt and other feelings. I hadn't really changed my way of functioning, especially related to stress. Okay. So I was still, I would say, just a stressaholic. And as a result of that, sure enough, uh, the pain came back. And, and what's kind of funny almost is for those who have gotten out of pain before, it's like, you know, I was making all sorts of declarations, you know, if I could just get out of back pain, I'll, you know, it's like, I'll give away all my money or I'll donate all of my time. And then getting better. Um, it's, it's almost shocking how short that lasts before the anxious and stressed out mind just goes to the next problem. Yeah. So I think for me, I ended up going to the next problem, more work stress, more life stress, um, and I, I couldn't even tell you what the next symptom was. There, there were so many that I had to deal with. I mean, literally from head to toe, I, I could point to any body part and say, oh yeah, foot pain, knee pain, groin pain, heart palpitations, headaches, dry eyes, tinnitus. Like I've really had 
pretty much all of the kind of classic TMS experiences. Um, what did save me was I always then assumed that there was a TMS connection. So even though I, I then had a lot of other symptoms that would pop up, I never thought, oh, this is a massive structural issue that I need to develop. Although even one time I did get sucked back into that. But for the most part, I knew it was TMS. Um, but one thing I want to communicate to listeners is I had the book cure, which was great and miraculous, but I've also had the, I know it's TMS and it still took me over a year to heal experience mm. uh, where it was just slow and frustrating. And, and even once I became a psychologist that was practicing this all the time, I've still had TMS symptoms where it's not like I could just magically get them to go away. So I have a ton of empathy for people who have healed before never heal, but are having that slow, long process. And I think sometimes what gets represented in podcasts or books is the fast cure, like the, the, the miracle insight moment. And although I do think that can happen, and I've worked with other people where it's happened as well, I think a lot of it is more of that slow, emotionally arduous journey towards healing. When you look at those two I'm going to pitch those against each other. One is you've got the book here. It's pretty quick. And then the other one has a, a, a drawn out process. Do you see one as, I'm going to say you having learned more from the process than the other one? Um, does that, does that, my question make sense? Yeah. I, I would say that I probably learned more from the slow, long journey because I, that I, learned more about how I approach life. Yeah. How I can automatically become stressed, how I have certain catastrophizing tendencies, how I, at one point in my life, I would say lacked a diversity of coping resources. Mm -hmm. So as much as, you know, I would never wish pain upon anyone because I think it's miserable. I do think that the slow process was more transformational. Yeah. And in that sense, I do feel a degree of gratitude for the different TMS experiences I've had. Again, I it's not to the point where I would say, oh, I'm so glad I had them, but I can see how pain, I think, is an invitation to grow. Yeah. Or, or maybe we could say it's like an invitation from someone that you don't want to hear from to grow. But nonetheless, I do believe that if I hadn't gone through what I did, I would probably still just be a chronically stressed out, really worried, really anxious person. Um, and I certainly have worked with people who are like that. And then they have an early heart attack. And that's the wake up call. So in that sense, I'm glad that pain has been the wake up call instead of something even more catastrophic. Yeah, I, I just I had the long healing journey, too um, didn't have the book here at all. And I'm, I, I am thankful for it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, 
but I, I agree. I think that, that, that doing the work of understanding really what is the source of all this and getting to those transformational moments is something that I'm thankful for. So I agree with you in just for those listening, like to take hope, even if your journey's longer, um, sometimes that brings you to a bigger degree of redemption or change in life and the way you're operating that, that the book you might not, might not give you. So, Okay. Anything else about your healing journey that you want to share? I love the way you're talking about your healing journey because it's just bits of encouragement and um, yeah. Anything else that you feel like you want to share? I, I think each time I've healed, it's been a slightly different recipe. Yeah. So one thing that I have learned from that with the work that I do with people is it's useful to think about what helped in the past, but it might be something totally different this go around. And I can just illustrate that with two kind of extremely different versions. Um, I did the you know journal every day, uh, express a lot of anger healing, and it worked for my back. Okay. Even though that was a fast cure, I still was doing that. And then I tried that again for a different TMS symptom, and it actually was making me worse. Huh. Total opposite. I felt like I was getting more and more into a hole where I was feeling frustrated. And then also I was feeling frustrated that I wasn't healing. Yeah. And in that experience, what finally led me to get better was going on a vacation. And I actually wasn't in any way thinking to myself, I'm going to go on a vacation to get better. I just wanted to go on a vacation, went on a vacation, and within a week, I was pain-free. So like mm -hmm. one instance, I had to do all this deep digging. And in another instance, the digging was making me worse. And I actually just needed to relax. Yeah. So I just, I think that each time we have to heal, it can require something different. And one place that I think people can mm -hmm. sometimes get stuck is, if they're doing the same thing that got them pain-free the first time and they're going, why isn't it working this time? I would say, I think usually that's because there's a different recipe for success. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So that segues perfectly into, um, I'm, I'm viewing the topic of today as like pitfalls of, of how we approach the healing. So we're going to talk a little bit, I think, less about the tools of healing and more about how do we do those, whatever, whatever path you're taking. Um, so that's a great one. Um, so let's say somebody, you have a, a patient show up and as we all want, the goal is I want my pain gone. Um, um, what pitfalls do you see as um, something to look out for? Yeah, great question. So I think the approach healing is really important. So I topic. And first off, I would say, of course, we want the pain to go away because pain is miserable and it's so mentally consuming. So yeah. if someone were to come in and say that, which a lot of people do, I always want to validate totally. Like we're on the same page that being pain-free is a much better life than being in pain. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, to your question, there are some real pitfalls to thinking I want to get rid of the pain. 
So one of those is pain is a symptom. So if pain is a symptom, there's an adage in medicine that you don't want to treat the symptom. You want to treat the cause. So it would be like if someone had a cold, you wouldn't want them if they had a cough to just take a cough suppressant forever. You'd want to address whatever was causing the cold. And if people just want to get rid of the pain, that's like taking the cough suppressant. So the first thing that I try to help people with is to see that pain is a symptom. Like for me, as I was saying, pain was a symptom, I would say, especially of chronic stress, but also not having enough tools to express my feelings in positive and healthy ways. And so if we just treat the symptom, then we're not actually left with much of a cure. Yeah. And people, I think, can get very focused on symptom relief because, of course, again, pain is miserable. But like you said about your own healing journey, too, there are deep transformational life changes that pain can invite us into. And just getting rid of the pain, it usually the way I hear that is someone is saying, I want to keep living my life just like I'm living it, but I don't want to be in pain. And I would say, actually... There are reasons why you're in pain that we need to understand. And if we can address the cause, then the pain will go away too, but then also life can be better. Yes. Okay. So how do you, well, actually I don't want to ask that question. So if somebody, so how do you redirect somebody to understand what those, what the cause is? If we're addressing the cause, and I know we said we weren't going to get into tools too much. So how how does one find, instead of addressing the pain as a symptom, how do you get to what the cure is for you? So that's a great question. And I would say for everyone, it's going to be different. Um, I do think journaling can be very useful for mm-hmm. understanding what might be going on underneath the surface. I also think therapy or coaching can be very useful because like you and I both said for ourselves, there was even kind of a lack of awareness about what was actually going on. But I would say at the uh, most foundational level, someone has to understand what their emotional life is like, Mm. I think, to to have a good sense of what the pain is related to. Someone has a ton of stress, understanding that and what that means and how to alleviate the stress, or at least see it for what it is. Someone has a lot of anger, sadness, guilt, anxiety, whatever the feeling or feelings are, I would say, if if someone can't access any of their emotional life, I think it becomes very challenging to get to the root cause or causes of the pain. But with that being said, going on an endless hunt for the cause is another pitfall. And I would say is still related to the idea of wanting to get rid of the pain. Yeah. So I also encourage people to try and be curious about their life, not just as a way to get rid of the pain. Because again, that I sometimes describe it as like a spotlight. And if someone keeps the spotlight on pain, whether that's not liking the pain or wanting to get rid of the pain, 
it's still just reinforcing the same neural circuitry around pain. So part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to shift the spotlight away from pain towards life, joy, meaning, purpose, relationships. And in doing that, that can both help to understand what's causing the pain, but also it, it changes the focus away from those circuits in a way that then can kind of build and enhance other brain circuits. So, okay. So, uh, so I love this. We're, we're shifting, we're getting our attention, which we know fuels the pain off of the symptom and the goal, even the goal of getting rid of the pain. We're getting our eyes off of that because that spotlight is all it's doing is redirecting us there over and over again. Um, how, um, so we're shifting our approach again. How do you help people to, what do you help people to to put their attention onto instead? Um, is it like finding meaning in life, um, big long-term goals, uh, making their dreams come true? How do, how do you help people to um, divert their atten attention on to something else? Yeah. So in the Mind Body Workbook that Dr. Schechter and I recently put out, we actually start off really early on with what we call a dream. And we revisit a dream day towards the end as well. So you just lost internet connection, which is happening maybe every like three minutes. So we didn't get your last sentence. Oh, strange. Okay, mm -hmm. Is it okay now? Yeah. Um, so uh, the Dr. Schechter and I recently put out a Mind Body Workbook Volume 2. And in that, we start off with a dream day. And that dream day is actually about thinking about the life that you want to live and starting to pursue that. But if dream sounds too lofty, then I would just say looking at what you want. Yeah. So people with TMS almost always have a very strong should voice. Yeah. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. What should I be doing? And shoulds are related to rules usually or what other people are thinking or what other people are wanting. We're trying to shift it into what that person wants. So if someone wants to focus on how to enhance their joy, I would say, great, spotlight that. If someone wants to focus on how to cultivate meaningful relationships, great, let's spotlight that. If someone wants to cultivate a, a more enjoyable, meaningful, purpose-driven work life or spiritual life or whatever else, it's really dependent on the person but I would say a great starting point is just to ask this question of either what are my dreams for life? Or if that's too lofty, what am I wanting from life? And even though that sounds like a somewhat simple question, I actually think that's a very difficult uh, psychological endeavor to understand what we're really wanting from life instead of just trying to kind of get out of pain or seek relief in some various form of ways. As okay, as you're talking, I'm I'm putting words to my own journey and and realizing I think that what I did was I asked, how do I want to operate within life? And that's where a, a big part of my transformation happened was not necessarily about what I was doing, but I wanted to do life differently. Like I wanted to show up internally different um, to the already good life that I had. Um, yeah. 
So I think that's a, a similar type question as you are asking. What am I wanting from life? How do I want to operate within it? Um, spotlight on what you want. Yeah, and I, I think there is an added benefit of that, even beyond just the spotlight effect, which is being in pain is, is frustrating, miserable, disappointing, unpleasant. And if the goal is, how do I get out of pain? Then you have basically one marker of success. Has the pain decreased or gone away or not? And the challenge is, if you're not making progress or you're not making progress as quickly as you want, then you're going to feel increasingly frustrated. Mm. And then that's going to feel more pain and more anxiety. Whereas if I, I love your version of the question too, about how do you want to operate within your life? Or, you know, my question of what do you want from life? If all of a sudden someone can be moving towards meaningful relationships, different set of work circumstances, just even engaging in more play, then even if the pain is still there, there can be a sense of progress, which can facilitate hope. So I think that there's a very hope-inducing quality to looking at and pursuing what someone wants, because now you actually have a lot of different benchmarks for success. Yep. And then if the pain is not going away, I think it's much easier to go, well, I wish the pain was going away, but I do really like the direction my life is heading in. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Which also, I mean, if we're talking about the fear pain cycle, that's going to just turn down some of that, that fear. If you see you're progressing in this area. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that's one. What, what other pitfalls do you see, um, with people when they are starting out or in the middle of their journey in specifically in how they're approaching it. Yeah. So there's another pitfall related to getting rid of the pain, which I would say is that people can want to focus on subtraction, but oftentimes what's actually necessary is addition. So I can illustrate this with the example of food. If someone says, I want to go on a diet and I don't want to eat so much candy or chocolate, the way to get there can't just be through subtracting those foods. There either needs to be something else enjoyable to eat, or there needs to be something else enjoyable that's substituting in for the joy that the candy was creating. Okay. So what I oftentimes see is people start wanting to focus on getting rid of the pain. And then they actually add all of these things that are kind of hard and challenging, journaling, trying to reflect on things, trying to access all of these painful feelings. And the, the whole point of that is to try to subtract the pain. But what's not getting added is, again, back to this idea of what someone wants life to be like. So I think that it's so useful to think about what to add in life instead of what to subtract, uh, because the subtraction can just make life feel like there's a big void. Whereas when we start adding things in that we really like, it fills in the space. And that's another thing that I oftentimes see 
where people are the, the only things they're adding are essentially not fun or enjoyable yeah uh, because they're, they're really focused on trying to subtract the pain but what would really be helpful is to add any number of positive joyous meaningful things instead yes I, I love that adding in fun versus subtracting pain is that a fair way to summarize that yeah I think that's a good one okay Okay. So right now I'm wanting to just bullet point this. So we've got, um, you're, you're moving the spotlight off of pain and, um, onto what you want. And then we're adding in fun versus subtracting pain. Um, and we briefly talked about in our pre-interview conversation, we talked about this idea of how TMS people, we tend to be driven by perfection or a set of rules and um, uh, doing things just so. And so then we hear that there is this way to heal and we take that personality trait. And so we approach it in that way. Um, can you talk about, can you talk about that path and how how to how to work around that obstacle that pitfall yeah so this is a huge pitfall that i see a lot and also i've been totally guilty of uh-huh. um yes so i want to share a quick story about my journey learning guitar because i think this illustrates the journey of tms healing well okay. so i decided recently to start learning guitar and I start reading about how to learn guitar. And one of the things I read early on is that you don't want to establish bad habits early on because if you do, then it can take so long to undo them. Okay, so what does my TMS or anxiety-driven mind do? It starts worrying and going, "Uh uh-oh, what if I develop a bad practice habit? And before I know it, I've got all of this anxiety about trying to even learn the guitar because I'm worried about whether or not I'm approaching learning right and am I doing the right practice routine and am I making sure I'm strumming it is right and so on and so forth. So I think that a lot of people do the exact same thing with TMS healing where all of a sudden there's actually this really exciting possibility of getting better, which is amazing. And then there's all of these different resources that have overlapping approaches, but also very different. Yes. And before you know it, someone's going, do I journal for five minutes or 10 minutes? Yes. Do I, what do I do in the moment of pain? Do I need to meditate? Do I not meditate? Do I stop going to massages? Even if I like massages, am I reinforcing the pain cycle, right? It's all the same kind of fear and anxiety as me going, am I, you know, placing my hand on the fretboard, right? Or am I not doing it right? And all of a sudden it's very stressful. Healing itself becomes very stressful and a lot of worry about doing it right. Instead of focusing on supposed to be good news and helpful. So what I like to remind people of is there's no right way to heal. There's only a right way to heal for the individual. And that person is going to know themselves better than anyone else. So I, I firmly believe that each person is the expert 
on their own experience. And of course, it can be useful to have guidelines of what to do in the same way that if someone wants to practice the guitar, it is useful to spend a certain amount of time switching between chords, but it's so personalized and people can get into a lot of trouble when all of a sudden it becomes about what should I do instead of actually examining what would either seem to be right for them or even just what seems to work. So like I said, I even got sucked into this when I thought that I should be journaling as a way to get better because that had worked before, but journaling was clearly having a negative impact on me. So I was too focused on the should of healing instead of looking at what I was actually needing. I I wasn't needing 30 minutes of my day every day to go to writing about really dark things. I was needing a vacation as it turned out. Um, But people can get so focused on the rules of healing. And then now, especially that there's so much information, it's really overwhelming. It is. Okay. So there, there is a lot out there. Um, Okay. So somebody is approaching it in this stressful way, but I think with a lot of people that have TMS, there has been a, a, a trend towards abandoning yourself and what your own needs are. And so I think sometimes it's really complicated to even know what, what do I need? Um, and so you're stuck between this rock where you know that like this rigid approach to TMS isn't, isn't working and it's a stressing me out and blah, blah, blah. But also I have like, I don't know what I need. I, how does one, how does one ask yourself, what do I need? Um, do you have any, do you have any nuggets of wisdom around, around that conundrum? Great question. So uh, first off, I think because most of us with TMS are, as Sarna would say, goodists, or another word is that for that would be people pleasers. <laughs> um, pretty much everyone I know with TMS is very tuned into what other people want or need. Yeah. And part of the challenge then is if you're really used to thinking about what other people want or need, the muscle of thinking or contemplating what I want or what you want or need is going to be kind of atrophied. So first, I just like to validate for people that if they're not sure what they want or need, that's okay. That probably just means that most of life's energy has been focused on other people and that you're a classic TMS goodist. I'm right there with you. So with that being said, actually, I think a great question to ask oneself every morning just upon waking up is, what am I wanting or what am I needing for my day? So right off the bat, a lot of people can wake up, they're in pain, they're in discomfort, they might already feel frustrated and pretty quickly fear can kick in and fear kicks in and then it can it can feel like from the moment of waking, it's like there's a fire and you're trying to figure out how to fight it, which totally makes sense because pain can be so miserable but we want to start trying to shift again that focus to a different uh, aspect of life instead of just fighting the fire, which is going, okay, what am I wanting or needing from today? And sometimes people can get hung up on, is it a want or a need? That's in my mind, just another way to try to create like a rule to follow. So if one of those words sounds better than the other, 
go with that. If it sounds meaningful to have them be different, go with that. But I would say a lot of it is just this actually pausing and asking, okay, what am I wanting or needing? Now, sometimes that might draw a blank or sometimes someone might have an answer that doesn't work out. So that's not the only nugget. I would also say it's very useful to notice what someone gravitates towards. Like if someone is going about their day, they're going, man, I'd really like to watch a Netflix show right now. I would say it's good to pay attention to that. Or if someone's going, I'd love to just be outside for 10 minutes. I feel yeah. so stuck in my office. It's good to pay attention to that too. So I, I would say that another useful way to ascertain what, what you're wanting or needing is just to notice when you're doing something, what the emotional experience is like. So for instance, when I would journal and it was helpful, it, it felt kind of like putting a vegetable into my body. I still didn't think it was particularly fun, but I also could feel the goodness of it. Mm. Compared to when I would journal and it clearly wasn't helping, my heart would be racing a little bit. I would notice that I would dread even approaching my journal. Mm. I would feel more irritated afterwards. So what I always encourage people to do is think of it as you're trying to run a bunch of experiments and you put your, your scientist hat on and you go, okay, let me experiment with this or that and see, do I feel better if I let myself take a nap in the day or do I feel worse? Do I feel better if I go on a walk or do I feel worse? If I'm spending time with friends, does that bring me joy or does that create a lot of anxiety? And of course, sometimes it's complicated and it's a variety of experiences going on internally. So it can be um, something to sort through, but I think a, a great way to start learning more about what feels good is actually just trying to pay attention to what feels good. And that might sound so obvious, but for people with TMS, we, we tend not to pay attention to those kinds of things because it's so focused again on other people or on a different area of distress that actually uh, contemplating, do I like this, can be pretty revelatory. I mean, I remember the first time that I actually asked myself, do I like what I'm doing? And I was like, wow, I've, I've never thought about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often ask myself, what, what do you need from me today? <laughs> because when I first started this, like practicing, um, paying attention to my needs instead of everybody else, I, you know, I would ask, what do you need? And it would be something from somebody else that, that, that wasn't in within my, um, circle of control, if you will. Um, so asking, what do I need from myself for today was often things like take a break or reduce the, I don't know, the stakes or something, go for a walk, take a, take a 10 minute walk in the middle of your work day. Um, if, if that is possible for you. Um, so I totally feel that, that, so I think what you're saying is instead of following a organized plan of healing that worked for whoever came up with that idea is to, to take that and introduce some flexibility in there. Like, okay, I do, I do need these tools from somebody else who has, has learned this process. And then let's say, do these things work for me? Or is this actually just increasing my stress more and my body 
hates it. <laughs> exactly. And I actually think we can even learn about our psychology and how we approach healing because there can be such perfectionism yeah. or such yeah. a fear of doing it wrong or such a missing out on the best approach. And so I, I also encourage people to even notice, how are you approaching this and how might that relate to other things you're approaching? Like, does the same fear about getting it right happen with TMS healing? And does it also happen at work? Yeah. Or, you know, is the same desire to follow 10 different steps and make sure that you're getting an A plus, does that happen with TMS healing? And does that also happen with relationships? So I, I think that there's a lot of learning we can do about our psychology mm -hmm. and about our type T personalities even just through observing how we approach healing. But you're, you're absolutely right that being flexible and in a sense, practicing self-compassion with the act of trying to heal is already a way to combat self-criticism and perfectionism. So if someone can notice when their TMS personality shows up in trying to heal from TMS, that can bring about a real breakthrough and it can become much easier and much less stressful to try and get better. Um, can you unpack type T for people who maybe haven't read Sarno? Yeah. So people with a, a type T personality tend to be high on perfectionism, self-critical, people-pleasing, usually very conscientious. Um, those, those are the, I might be missing a couple, but those are the ones that immediately yeah. stick out to me. Yeah. Um, very hard on themselves. Yeah. Yes. And to summarize everything as we get close to closing here, um, I think everything you just said about type T personality fits into the different ways we're talking about today with how we can adapt our approach to healing is looking at Am I being a perfectionist, self-critical, people-pleasing, conscientious too much in this whole approach and kind of adapting? Um, and I think going back to what you were saying, um, in the very beginning, when you did the, the long journey of healing, um, when you did learn more about yourself and there's transformational, would you say some of this type T stuff was addressed more in depth in that part of that journey? Oh yeah. Um, I, I have historically had a, a type T personality extraordinaire, very hard on myself, very perfectionistic. Um, and I, I sometimes joke with people that uh, we'll talk about being more self-compassionate and someone will go, well, but am I starting to be kind of selfish? And what they think of as being selfish is still so unselfish it, it's like world apart yeah. and similarly for my own journey like i went okay i think i am kind of perfectionistic notice i'm even like i'm not kind of perfectionist i was totally perfectionistic huh. so then i'm trying to be less perfectionistic but it's like i went from 
quadruple checking my work to only double checking it. <laughs> um, and then I started to realize that other people in my life were dramatically easier on themselves. Yeah. Um, so another tool that I actually really like is observing the least anxious person in one's life to just notice how they exist in the world. Like, Oof, do, they worry, do they worry about responding to an email in 10 minutes? No. If they have a, a body ache, do they immediately think to go to the doctor? No. So I, I sometimes keep a model in my mind of my least anxious friend. And I'll literally ask myself, okay, how would he approach a similar <laughs> circumstance? But I think that can be useful to do. But so yeah, my, my traditional um, kind of rule following, perfectionistic, inflexible personality traits and the long journey to healing I had to actually address. And I think it's it's very different for someone to go, all right, maybe I'll just make a slight change versus I think what can bring about an extraordinary level of healing is oftentimes what I think of as a paradigm shift. Yeah, It's like, okay, I'm really gonna shift the paradigm from being perfectionistic and needing to control everything to seeing that trying to control life is a recipe for an endless amount of anxiety and fear, including trying to control the pain and then the anxiety and fear that go with that. So I, I think that when people can start really make those deep changes, there's a lot of healing. And then again, there's also a lot of hope because now someone can go, all right, well, even if the pain is still there, which by the way, oftentimes by then will go away, but even if it hasn't gone away, it's a great outcome if someone along their journey can say, I really like myself more or I'm proud of myself or my relationships have improved. That is so sustaining along what can be such a long journey of healing. Oh, absolutely. 100% agree. Okay. That was a great conclusion. Um, can you, I'm realizing the time it's 11, 12. Can you um, just tell us a little bit about where you're working, who you're working with and um how people can contact you or work with you, that type of stuff. Yeah. So um, people can find me on my website. That's the easiest way. It's just drjustinbarker.com. So like Dr. Justin. And I work with uh, really the whole lifespan of people with TMS. I work with people that are very young and in the later years of their life and everywhere in between. Um, I usually, uh, unless it's a special burden, will recommend that people meet with a TMS medical doctor. The one that I work with most closely is Dr. David Schechter, but there are other TMS medical doctors as well. I always encourage people, if you can, get a diagnosis by a medical doctor, because I really think that's an invaluable step. Even if you think you have TMS, I think the comfort of the medical doctor diagnosing it can be very useful. Mm -hmm. Um, but people can find me on my website. I work with the full range of adults. I do have a coaching practice for people outside of California. So I have both the psychotherapy practice in California, coaching practice for people outside of California. And I really love this work, both because I, I know what it's like to heal and because I also think that anyone who has TMS is likely to be such a kind soul. 
know, people with TMS are goodists and they're usually so conscientious. So I, I really feel honored and like the, the people that are considering an alternative way to try and heal are engaging in such an act of courage in my mind. So that's one thing that I hope anyone who's listening can spend a moment to like really uh, reflect with and honor the courage of trying to heal from pain, because I, I really do believe it is nothing short of a courageous act. Yeah, totally. Okay. Will you send me your website link and, um, and also you, you just created a program with Dr. Schechter. Is this, is, am I right? Is this correct? Yeah, so a couple of resources that are self-directed are the Mind-Body Healing Journey, which is a five-hour video course that Dr. Schechter and I did. Um, five hours sounds like a long time, but I promise it's jam-packed. There's over two hours of frequently asked questions, which I actually think is one of the coolest parts of the courses because we really get into the weeds of all sorts of different questions someone might have. So that's a wonderful resource to create a real foundation the whole reason we created that course was we felt like there was a, a, an array of different TMS resources and it was becoming harder and harder for people to know what to do. So the whole idea of the course is you could use just that course and it would tell you everything you need to know. Now, of course, there are lots of great resources, so I'm not saying it's uh, the only one, but for those who might feel like they just want a one-stop, okay, how do I get better, answer my questions, the video course is very useful. And then we also have a workbook that just came out. It's volume two of the mind-body workbook. Dr. Schachter came out with volume one some years back. And that's 30 days of guided that get into all sorts of emotional topics, mm -hmm. dreams, wants, play, self-compassion. So that's another wonderful resource as well. And then for those that might know or, or meet Dr. Schachter, we also do have a TMS healing group that we lead through Zoom and people can join that um, from around the country. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Dr. Schechter was on the show last August and I think it was still volume one of the workbook. So now there's volume two. Yep. And you're co-author in that one? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for sharing just your own healing journey and helping others to avoid those pitfalls and be able to approach the healing process with less anxiety and more joy. So I'm so grateful to get a chance to talk and uh, thank you for all the work that you do as well. It's a real gift. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you for watching and I will see you next week. <laughs>